Today's episode of Sports and the World, we talk about the NBA playoffs, the AL MVP race, money to make pay-per-view predictions, accountability, and of course, your stat of the day. That's today on Sports and the World. Chris Brown, and thank you for taking time out of your day. I always truly appreciate it. And and let's just get right into it. So, with the NBA playoffs, I think what we've learned is that how good Giannis is and Kawhi, to me, that's the more intriguing series. And I'm going to take nothing away from Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. But I think we as people, we, we gravitate toward Golden State because it's an exciting brand of basketball. And it's great. But I think with this Milwaukee-Toronto series, I think what truly makes it great is that you have legitimately two superstars in this series. And which leads me into this. In sports and in life, you know, there's always that one moment that you go, okay, that's when I know someone or something is great. You know, if you didn't already know that Michael Jordan was great, you can go back to the flu game he played against the Utah Jazz to know how great he was. With Magic Johnson, where he single-handedly beat the Boston Celtics would cream out at a triple-double playing center. And I feel in this particular series, these four teams each had defining moments to get them to where they are right now. And I think with Kawhi, I look back and I go, the way he played in the previous series, to knock out the Sixers, I said, that guy. That guy, like, playoff special. Like, we know he's a playoff MVP, finals MVP. But when I saw that, when he essentially closed out that series, I said, okay, we got to at some point put in the conversation with one of the great playoff players of all time. And that's for a discussion for another day. For Giannis, I think just the way Giannis has been playing, the fact that Giannis has taken this Milwaukee team with no real second superstar or player kind of to the level. Like, you want to put Chris Middleton in there, that's that's fine and that's great too. But I just think overall, Giannis has improved greatly. And that guy's a bona fide step. You know, for Damon Lillard, I think if what I learned from that Denver series is that, look, is he going to make mistakes? Yes. But when he steps up in big games, him, C.J. McCollum, even Enos Cantor contributing. A lot of contributors on that team. It's, that Portland team could be great. But for Steph Curry, I think Steph Curry kind of cemented his place as an all-time great player in playoff. Without having the best player 
not just on the team, but in the league. And he goes out there, 33 points in the second half, closes out the Houston Rockets, who we talked about, you know, a little bit last week, in which we would definitely go all in this week with the accountability segment. But I wanted to break down these four athletes with my own version of a PR, player efficiency rating. And so, essentially, I rated these players on six key stats that I feel is important. And points, rebounds, assists, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and free throw percentage. And what I did, I ranked them one to four, and I averaged out. And I averaged out the total divided by six. You know, you know, simple math, the mean, the average. And so, this is what I got, and the numbers astonished you. But to me, it really didn't. So I'm just gonna go through and say who led each of the categories, and I think you could figure out whose average came out on top. In points, it's Kawhi. Rebounds, Giannis. Assists, Lillard. Field goal percentage, that's Kawhi. Three-point percentage, that's Kawhi too. And free throw percentage, well, that goes to Steph Curry. So, on the basis of what I just read to you, it should come out pretty obvious who came out on top in the average. Kawhi Leonard led in half of the stats that I feel are important. Points, three-point percentage, field goal percentage. And the only stat that he was not in the top two in was assists. He was fourth. Because, you know, facilitation, you know, Kawhi doesn't facilitate. It's all Kawhi in this series. So, when we look at Kawhi, Giannis, Steph, and Lillard, you know, Kawhi came out to 1.66. So, on average, he's the best player in the draft. You know, in the draft. Well, if we had to draft playoff players, then yeah. And Steph and Lillard were tied for second with 2.66. And I wonder, so there was one stat for each of them that really affected the average. And for Steph, Steph is fourth in points, and that's just because Kevin Durant was just dominating. Not only Golden State, but in that series, in the series. And, but he was first in free throw percentage. So it kind of balanced each other. And for Lillard, well, Lillard got hurt, you know, maybe twice. But bounced back over Steph and two other key stats. Lillard was fourth in field goal percentage and in rebounds. But he was better than Steph in assists. And he was better than Steph. So it balanced each other out. So that's why they came out there. And then 
by the numbers, the fourth best player was Giannis. And this is not to say that Giannis is a terrible player. But out of the four superstars who I feel uh, are left in this series, in terms of the best player, I know we're going to hear things about Klay Thompson, and but Steph slightly ahead of Clay. But statistically, it's quad. And those stats, you know, from according to basketballreference.com. According to basketballreference.com, based on the six metrics I gave you, Kawhi Leonard's the best player. Now, is this to say that Toronto's the better team? You know, that's something we'll cover next week. You know, just because, you know, Steph and Lillard are tied, so that means this game's only seven? No. It's just that these are the four best players. And it's important. And even when we talk about call it March Madness, usually the best player on the team steps up big. The greatest example, remember when Carmelo Anthony single-handedly led Syracuse to that national championship. And the exception this year, you could argue, Zion didn't quite get Duke to the championship. But, for the most part, your superstars step up, and I believe that these are the four best players. Now, when we cover next week, we'll talk about these four teams and rank them on who's left. And who also the good folks at basketballreference.com have favored probability-wise in this series. And we will definitely get to that. But what we're going to get to next is the AL MVP race. And, spoiler alert, I just think one guy is ahead of everybody else. And we'll have that for you next here on Sports and the World. Welcome back to Sports in the World. And I want to get into this AL MVP race. And what I always try to do is that I try to give transparency and honesty. It's in the title of the of the podcast with the subtitle. You know, where honesty matters. And I gotta be perfectly honest with you, with all of you. You know, the National League MVP race is very close between Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich, as I talked about last week. So when I went in and tried to pick out who I think was the AL MVP, I went through the eye test. I went through the numbers, same thing I did with the NL MVP. And I said, well, there's only one player right now who's just head and shoulders above everybody else. And there's maybe two to three guys behind this one. And this particular player is George Springer for the Houston Astros. Look, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, they're not going to get, you know, the Astros are going to win the World Series or anything like that. But George Springer is a huge reason why Houston is where they are. Because, look, in every major stat, 
home runs, RBIs, average, slugging percentage on base percentage, hits and total bases. This guy's in the top 10 in every single stat. Every single stat. And one of the things is, is that is that the only factor? No. But the guy's hitting the ball like crazy. If you combine his slugging and on base percentage, like what's, he also leads the league in that too. And you're like, well, where's Mike Trout? Where's, you know, how about, you know, Joey Gallo? These other guys. And I'm just going to tell you, I like all those players I've mentioned. But right now, they're they're not in George Springer's league. And the only other player that I can sit there and say is probably close to George Springer is his teammate Alex Bregman. And Alex Bregman, he's second in homers, and he's tied for fourth in RBIs. And I look around the league, American League specifically, and I go, you know, I look at how Seattle started so great. But, you know, guys like Encarnacion, you know, those guys were just hitting the ball like crazy. They were doing well. And then he kind of fell to earth. And I like Mike Trout. I think Mike Trout's the best player in all of baseball. And Mike Trout's the type of dude, his, his wins above replacement, of course, leads the league. Because that's how valuable he is. He's a valuable player every year. But this year... If we go by what the core of MVP is, no matter the sport, numbers don't lie. People can lie. Numbers don't. And and right now, George Springer is absolutely crushing. And so, I tried to look around, I really did, to say, can I get someone to go against him? Because like I said, National League was pretty easy, pretty straightforward. But right now, here in the the American League, it's George Springer's game. But what I will say is, is is that, you know, Mike Trout could easily come back and make this a race. Because Mike Trout is that type of player. And and next week, I want to go into more about Trout versus Harper. And I'm just not going to go in statistically. I'm going to go in more in the context of personality, temperament, and let's face it, winning. Winning matters. Tell me otherwise. Because I don't care how great you are at your job how likable you are at your job or how great of a person that you are people look for results and and like in most businesses it's a results driven business but that's just the point I'm not going to go into I don't want to take away from this AL MVP race because simply put right now I just truly believe that George Ringer right now is the best player right now. And I want other guys to step up. I want other guys to make this great. 
But before I transition, I want to talk about something else I've noticed a lot with with baseball so far is, is quite frankly, I'm absolutely, I'm one of these people who always say, listen, home runs are absolutely great for baseball. They're great for baseball and they're great for business. And, and I'll try, I don't know if it's next week, but down the road, once again, I'll provide statistical data that will also be from the good folks at BaseballReference.com that kind of signifies that, listen, I've always said that you pay the hitters, but you pay them for home runs, and you pay them for average, you pay them for RBIs. And and you pay the pitchers. I think you always pay the pitchers for their playoffs. I think Madison Bumgarner got his money because of how great he is in the postseason. I could argue he's probably one of the the top, maybe three to five postseason pitchers the last twenty years. And and I always stand by that point. And I, and I say it's always skeptical when I always say, look, at your job. You know, you're paid for not just what you can do now, but you get paid for what you can also do in the future. And baseball is very tricky when it comes to that. And it it goes right into the whole Harper and Trout argument. They're both making a lot of money. But what I will say is, is that, that look, I don't sit there and say, Oh, it's your know, pitchers are bad for the game. No, when I just because I say hitters are good for the game doesn't mean I say that pitchers are bad for the game. Look, I like Clayton Kershaw, the aforementioned Madison Bumgarner. I like Chloe Kluber. You know, I like my guy Kyle Hendricks in Chicago. You know, those are just a couple of examples. I like those dudes. I really do. But notice how they pitch. In October, and that to me is what matters. I think baseball, when you pay, you're paying for not just the value that they bring to your team, both from a pecuniary perspective, but from an on and an on-field perspective. But you're paying them for October. Could you imagine Reggie Jackson in today's baseball? That guy, he's easily a hundred million dollar player because he was productive in the regular season but when it came to when it counted when it mattered that's why he's Mr. October and speaking of Mr. and and even Mrs. we're going to go into our money in the bank predictions to see who I think is going to be Mr. and Ms. money in the bank and that's going to next here on Sports and the World. And welcome back into Sports and the World. Once again, thank you for listening again. And uh, my social media is at Ladarius underscore Brown for Twitter. And for Instagram, it's at CuppiesFan77. If you want to drop in, leave some comments, or have some show ideas, 
that you want me to talk about. I'd also love that too, just to hear from you. You know, it's good to hear from people. So, I want to go into Money in the Bank. When I think of Money in the Bank, it's probably, if I rank it as a pay-per-view, I would say I rank it as important because it kind of leads us into SummerSlam in a way where it kind of sets up, where I I believe that the Royal Rumble sets up for WrestleMania. I think Money in the Bank kind of sets up for SummerSlam to a lesser degree. So I looked at the the eight competitors for Mr. and Ms. Money in the Bank. I thought that was a very interesting field with one change, which we'll hit on in just a few. And I said that, you know, this was hard to pick. One was easier than picked in the other because of what I think the potential could lead to. But, you know, to get right into it, you know, we'll start with Mr. Money in the Bank. You know, you have Sami Zayn who replaces Braun Strowman, Ricochet, Drew McIntyre, Baron Corbin, Ali, Finn Balor, Andrade, and Randy Orton. So, I think what you have here is that you have who I think in to be honest, in Drew McIntyre, I think he's the future. I think I think of these eight guys, I think I can see... We'll get to the predictions in a minute. I think, okay, that guy could be champion. Like, the only guy on this list who I say I don't see really as a... You know, holding the biggest belt the company right now... Is possibly maybe Ollie. And people are going to say, well, well, if it wasn't for Ollie's injury, wouldn't... Kofi Kingston wouldn't have had his WrestleMania, and you'd be absolutely right. But I think when I think of the credentials of the other, like I think Ricochet is a champion, and you could also also kind of lump him. But I can really realistically see Ricochet being champion because of the way they're pushing him, and he's going across both shows with the wild card rule that makes zero sense. But I can legit see. These dudes doing their thing. And so with that being said, you know, you know, my prediction comes down to two and then I give you one. I know. I'm very I'm very decisive. You know, for the men's I think it comes down comes down between Drew McIntyre or Baron Corbin. To me, Drew McIntyre makes all the sense in the world. Simply because I just think that from a pure athletic perspective. I think I could argue behind Ricochet, Finn Balor, Drew Drew McIntyre is the most athletic dude in this field. I think what separates, however, what separates him is that I think Drew McIntyre has the potential now to be champion. And I think he had that potential to somewhere cash in. Because I think the way they've been building him, the way that we all know that Vince McMahon likes to build his his guys. So, I wouldn't be absolutely shocked 
if that took place. So, let's talk about the women. And that field is super interesting for a number of reasons. Because in the women's field, you have Natalia, Dana Brooke, Naomi, Alexa Bliss, Bailey, Mandy Rose, Emma Moon, Carmella. And look, the one name that I said should have been on here was Ruby Riot. And and I say that simply because I just think that Ruby Riot, you know, I just think that I could potentially see her being a champion soon. But maybe it happens, maybe it won't, because of what's going on now in the division storyline wise. But I thought, well, she should be in Money in the Bank, and I'll tell you who I think I probably would have slotted her to replace. But and it's nothing to take away anything from these eight women whatsoever. So, what we have in this field is really a mix of establishment and potential. In the men's field, there was establishment and potential. But, with the women, the establishment potential comes from not only all of them, maybe Dana Brooke, all of them, I think, either have been champions or have championship abilities. And like I said, I don't take nothing away from Ali, but I think right now, I could see Ali being a champion by the end of this year, maybe push correctly getting that direction. But when I look at this field of women in the money in the bank, I go, it's establishment v. potential. And also another element versus kind of a quite possibly, it was a very hard word to come up with, but I ultimately decided on direction. Because with all of these, you can go in a lot of different directions with any of these women. And so it was it was super hard to pick a winner, but it wasn't hard to pick who I, you know, I narrowed down to two. And, and I felt that Basically, what I've seen, this, you know, status with potential versus direction, I think it's either going to be Mandy Rose or Ember Moon. Because, look, am I going to sit here and say that Mandy Rose is the best wrestler? No. My simple point is that every time I see her wrestle, she's getting better. And that, to me, because I'll be honest, initially I wasn't sold. On Mandy Rose. I was sold on her. Markability. Her markability. I was sold on that. From probably the minute she got. You know, her and Sonya Deville got called up. I was sold on that day one. But what I wasn't sold on was the wrestling. And, and there are classic examples of that same point. Where you know. Boy the markability is there. But can the wrestling meet the markability. And we've seen a lot of examples. I.E. Becky Lynch. Where markability, marketability, and wrestling ability, boom, boom. Because there's been some who have been champions who made the best wrestlers, but what, that's that's it's for another episode. Don't get me off track. <laughs> but I think that Mandy Rose, I think pulls it out. Or, but I also think Ember Moon has, to me, 
just as much upside. Even before her injury, I just think of Mandy Rose and I go, there's potential right there. And I really like Mandy, you know, as much as I like Mandy Rose, I like Ember Moon because I just think her style, her her in-ring presence, I think, I'd say, it clicks. And I, and I and I had this weird idea, I'll just say it real quick. I could have started a feud with, with Lacey Evans, I said, that's more appropriate. But what do I know? I don't write for the show. But we're going to get back to that women's match in just a minute. Now, as far as the WWE Championship goes between Kofi and Kevin Owens, look, I think that, and this was hard, but I, I chose Kofi over Kevin Owens. Not to say that, I think the question is, will they pull the trigger at Money in the Bank, or will they let Kofi hold the belt onto the next major pay-per-view, which would be SummerSlam? Because if you pull the move now to get Kevin Owens the belt, I think that, you know, he's held the belt since WrestleMania. I said let him hold it a little longer, I, I believe. Because you can you can really get some milk out of this KO and Kofi feud. I really do believe. So that's why I kind of went with Kofi there directionally. For the Universal Championship, I think possibly could be the second best match of the night. Or the best match. AJ Styles and Seth Rollins. Listen, I just think these right now, I put them, they're in the top 10 of the best wrestlers, both men and women, right now. This, to me, is a match in the making. They've hyped it up. You know, and I think that, look, Right now, you have someone in Seth Rollins who I think can hold that universal belt beyond this year, just like they did with AJ Styles. Because the only thing that could stop it is health, in my estimation. So, with that being said, I gotta go with Seth Rollins. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a classic because of their wrestling style, similar in many styles and different in. I think more of AJ's more technical than Seth, but I think it has great. It's gonna be a match of the a match of the night potential, I believe. So, like I say, Seth over AJ there. And as for the Becky two belts, I think that when it comes to the Raw, I think that Becky retains over Lacey Evans, and I. Why did I say it so simply? Why did I say it so quickly? Because right now, I think that I don't see it in Lacey Evans. Maybe other people do, but I personally don't see it. And and my biggest thing is with Lacey Evans is, look, I know she's great. I've seen NXT. I know how brilliant she is. But I think that I can't see it. Do I want to see it? Yes, I do. I can see Lacey being... I can see a lot of women being champion down the road, but not now. And and I think that Lacey Evans... She's going to put in a great match. I take nothing away from that. But I just think Becky and Lacey... I just think I just take Becky over Lacey. Simple. 
and for what I think should probably maybe be a co-main event. I don't, I don't write the pay-per-views. Full discretion. But you know the SmackDown Women's Championship. You know this is where I say Charlotte over Becky. And before you flood me with tweets and DMs, hear me out on this point. Just hear me out. This is why I go that route. Because I do believe that the winner of the women's tournament will cash in. So, Charlotte gets her her ninth reign champion. She gets her ninth. Everybody wins, and then I think Mandy Rose comes in, catches in, and she becomes the SmackDown. Because, to be fair, the way they treated the SmackDown belt over the last year has been borderline disrespectful. Because, you know, we've seen title changes on Raw and SmackDown before. But for Asuka to lose to Charlotte again, that's disrespect to Asuka and to the belt. So, this is why I say, look, if you're going to put the belt on anyone, put on SmackDown, pull the trigger on Mandy Rose, pull the trigger, it works. And that's my biggest point there. Is that you can't go wrong, nobody wins, nobody really, nobody loses. Everybody wins. Maybe except Becky Lynch, obviously. But Becky comes out, she gets the focus on Raw. Because they needed on that, the Raw Women's Division. Listen, when you have Natalia, Dana Brooke, Naomi, Alexa Bliss, that's great. But you're the old Becky. If Becky is on Raw. Charlotte goes back to SmackDown. I think you can fix because whether we whether we like Charlotte Flair or not, I think that, like I said, her and Becky are from the top ten, and both male and female, for this company right now. I could argue Becky is behind Seth Rollins. Who, by the way, they're a couple. Good for them. Makes sense. But what I will say is, everybody wins, everybody comes out on top. So, so speaking of everybody coming out on top, we're going to top off this episode with something... That WWE can learn about, and that's accountability, and of course, your stat of the day. That's next here on Sports and the World. And welcome in to the last segment here on Sports and the World. Once again, if you listen this far, thank you so much. I honestly, truly appreciate it. It means the absolute world to me. And once again, I'll drop my social media once again. On Instagram, it's at CubbyStan77. And if you want to catch me on Twitter, it's at Ladarius underscore Brown. Maybe I should spell Ladarius. It's L-A-D-A-R-I-U-S. You'd be be very surprised I'm doing that. But what I won't mess up is this. Let's talk about accountability. We all know what it is. And we all know how can it affect us on the job. We know that. In our job, our everyday life, 
But let's talk about more in depth when it comes to your job. If you are in charge of a project, if you are in charge of leading a group of people, and you're the success and failure is on you as the leader. So, what I've always said is that accountability, you have to look at yourself, right? But you'll be very surprised when you hear people say, well, you know, if Susan over there would have turned in her part of the work earlier, and if John wouldn't have screwed up that PowerPoint, maybe we would have done better. And when I hear people say things, obviously, you know, not named on Susan, but as someone who's led a team of people, you know, in a group setting, one of the things I felt was important was delegation. How do you delegate responsibility? At the end of the day, it's about accountability. And so when I thought of that, I thought about only that, but I thought of everyday life. Think about it. Some of us, not myself, but many of you who may be listening, your parents, you know, you're responsible for your child. There has to be a sense of accountability that goes with it. If they screw up, you gotta own it. Especially if they're kids. Not like if you're growing, you screw, like, look, <laughs> that's not on me. But, it's about taking accountability and responsibility for the actions. Because we still live in a, in a world where we still have people, and I'm not going to say, I'm a millennial, but we still have people, even Generation X, and, you know, even, you know, I, I dare to say some, some baby boomers, who cannot take responsibility for their actions. And you're like, well, why? And it could be for a number of reasons, because they know that they don't want to be seen as, oh, it's my fault, because then people think they can't trust them. And I think, but look, accountability is trust. But people will trust you more if you hold yourself accountable. Because they were human. Man up, woman up. Take responsibility. People respect you. Look at you different. And they look like, okay, well, that person, they owned it. They messed up, but they owned it. And this is where I say a lot of sports franchises lack in accountability. And two in particular. The first one is the Houston Rockets. And look, I like James Harden. He could very well be the MVP of this league this season. But all that I've heard from him, Rockets GM Daryl Morey, is that all the referees costing us the game, and there's proof that they favor the Warriors. And, you know, it's not fair. So what they're essentially already telling you even before the series really started, when they played the Golden State Warriors, was that, well, if we lose, well, it's the ref's fault. 
It's not our fault. Ignore how bad we may have played. No, no, it's our fault. Right? No. The ref's fault. It's the ref's fault. <clears throat> you would think. And so, when I hear that, it also led me to something else I also heard from a certain fan base in a certain division that my Atlanta Falcons play in. That's New Orleans Saints. All that I heard from Saints fans is that the referees cost us the game. And listen, I would have been super on board with that if the game hadn't gone to overtime. Or FYI, hey, Saints fans, your team got the ball first. And unless the referee changed out the stripes for a gold for a gold and black jersey with the fleur de lis on the helmet for his hat, you lost that game. Drew Brees threw an interception. You could have drove down the field. Throwing the touchdown, game over, right? But no. All that I heard that the refs cost us the game. It was bitterness, saltiness, and it was downright wrong. So, when I was thinking about accountability, I wanted a quote that summated that point to the team. And through research, and in, in the case, logic, you know, I found some of the Janssen Sports Leadership Center. It's a great website. I suggest you check it out. It's a great spot to learn about how to be a leader, but not just in sports, but in your everyday life. And I found one from one who I think is probably one of the greatest coaches who ever coached basketball, men or women. That's the late, great Pat Summit coach of the Lady Vols. And this is what she said about, lead, you know, she said about leadership but accountability. She said, quote, responsibility equals accountability equals ownership. And a sense of ownership is the most powerful weapon a team or organization can have. So let that sink in for a moment. Responsibility equals accountability equals ownership. So before we can even be accountable, you have to be responsible. Because look, do you want irresponsible people in charge of your money? So they lose your money? Oh, well... Oh, you know, I put it here somewhere. Maybe the janitor threw it away. That's, that's irresponsible. Not taking accountability, and they're not owning it. Or better yet, if your kid messes up in school, got a bad grade, and they come back and tell you, well, you know, well, the teacher doesn't like me, the teacher's never going to pass me, so it doesn't really matter. That's irresponsible. Because, listen, oh, accountability ain't there, and you damn sure ain't owning. I've always said, if we want to talk about owning your successes, 
you have to equally own your failures. I'm not going to sit here and say that, hey, people don't get screwed over. I'm not going to sit here and say that. Because there are some things that you can't control that you can't explain. Okay? You got fired. It's not your fault. It's just they're doing cuts all over the board. Okay? That's not on you. You own it and be like, okay, I have to find another job. You don't blame the job for firing you. People are like, well, well the job, you go, because all you want the job for me. I know I'm a great worker. Listen, I'm pretty sure you are. But a lot of good people have gotten fired. And it, and it just happens to be that way. You know, life works funny that way. So, that leads me into this. So, when I think about leadership, managers, on your job. Because whether we want to think about it, leadership and management just doesn't exclusively talk about the workforce it could also once again it could affect sports it affects your everyday life because at some point in some capacity we're leaders of something we're leaders of people we're we're leaders of animals we're leaders of children we're leaders in some capacity we have been or still are leaders so so this study came from the People Management Survey. This was done in 2018. And this study was done by the Predictive Index. And they surveyed 5,103 employees from 22 industries about their direct managers. And you can get the full report from typey.com slash managers. That's T-Y-P-I dot com slash managers. So what they did in that survey, they asked those 5,103 employees, and they actually give them the top, a bunch of words to associate with great managers and bad managers. So I wrote down three, the top three that were, the top three were said about great managers, the top three said about bad managers. So let's talk about the, the words associated with great managers. Supportive, honest, and leader. That's pretty pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. Because when I think of sports, I think of franchises like the New England Patriots. Who, there's a lot of leadership. Tom Brady's a leader. Belichick's a leader. They've had great leaders in the exec, you know, working in the front office. They're leaders. And sometimes, with Bill Belichick, he's honest. Maybe too honest. And that works. You have great managers, great leaders are, are honest. And there's a support system there that works. The same thing I can say about the San Antonio Spurs with Greg Popovich. Listen, he's a heck of a leader. Listen, he's honest. He'll tell you straightforward. Doesn't care whether you like him or not. But yet the system he created is supportive. I think of guys like Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Tony Parker, Monroe, those guys, that supports that organization for 20 years. 
And in basketball, you know, if, you know, if, we, if we talk about dynasties, which, you know, we'll get to at some point. But just longevity of success. Because once again, we can talk about the successes. San Antonio failed a lot, but they were honest about it. Pop was honest about it. Belichick was honest. He lost the Super Bowl against the, the Eagles. He was honest. Brady was honest. It's leadership. That's owning. So now, let's go to the reciprocal side of the coin. So what these three top words associated with bad managers? Rude, selfish, lazy. And one of the first teams that come to my mind have been the Oakland Raiders. And this is why I say lazy. I think that it's a, it's very lazy. I'm not just talking about with the John Gruden regime. I just think ever since they lost that Super Bowl, they got so lazy. And I could also throw in another word, complacent, where they didn't care and they were selfish. They didn't care about their fan base. You know, oh, we'll move the team to Vegas, which is fine. I get it. And I also think it's rude when I hear, and let's go back to John Gruden. When I hear John Gruden say that essentially that, you know what? We got all these things for Khalil Mack, and we couldn't pay him. And I get that. But it was very rude that you couldn't even take time to even really talk to him. And Khalil Mack didn't want to talk to him. And I think it's rude for not making a conscientious effort to get that man in the room. And try to maybe get him to take a, maybe a pay cut. To maybe get him to continue to be a part of that team. That's rude. And now, and then I go back to the Houston Rockets, who I think they're a great franchise for the most part. But I think what this series exposed was that lazy arguments, excuses. There was a quote a teacher I had in, in college that said, "Excuses are the tools for incompetence that lead to monuments to, uh, to nothing." To me, these excuses are leading nowhere. You can't admit you lost. Because from the very beginning, it was the ref's fault. And it's selfish. Because, listen, acknowledge the fact that Golden State beat you. It's selfish to put it all on the refs. You lost. And finally, it's just rude. It's rude to your... It's just, like, listen, you lost. Don't be rude about it. Don't be salty. You lost. And what I think is more important out of here is, is that what I want you to get, FYI, your stat of the day, was that. Was that those are the those are the three words for great managers and bad managers, according to the People Management Survey. 
Also think, also thank them. Their predictive index, great service, and that's why you take that link. Cause trust me, it talks a lot more about leadership, accountability, just like that Pat Summit quote. And and also, I forgot what you saying, fans. Listen, I think that. I still think that you know Drew Brees is a leader. I still think that he's honest in that city. You know, he supports that city. But on that same note, look, folks, that he got exposed. Got lazy. Don't blame the refs. You threw the interception. It's selfish. You took away from the Rams moment. And it's rude. Downright rude to sit there and say that not only did the refs cost the game, but every time you I saw him on television you predicting, you just kinda oh, you kinda slam the the Patriots, you know, decal on the side, you know, on their side from the win. Not because you necessarily thought they were the better team, because you were salty, and that's bitterness. But you know what? I'm not salty and bitter about it. It's the time you took out today for another episode of your Sports in the World. I thank you all. I want to thank the people who contributed to the show stat-wise. As always, basketballreference.com, baseballreference.com, the Predictive Index, and the Jansen Sports Leadership Center. I thank them for the research and the contribution to it. And once again, I thank you for listening. And until I enjoy your company, here through the waves. Remember, if you can't be careful, be safe. Be real and always be you. Till we meet again. Remember, you and I together can join on and take on sports and the world. to an end but the fun doesn't have to stop here if you have any questions suggestions or feedback head over right now to twitter and facebook and like share and get involved join us next time